This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you this Saturday morning. It is our 17th consecutive program uh, dealing with issues surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, today and this week, we reached the sad milestone of over 100,000 Americans who have died as a result of this virus. Um, today it was over 104,000. So those numbers have started to exceed the previous estimates, and we are hoping and praying that we can get control of this deadly virus. Uh, today's format is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to discuss some issues uh, now in the first segment. In the second segment, my guest is going to be Dr. Cato Lorenzen. Dr. Lorenzen is the university professor at UConn. He is a distinguished professor of orthopedic surgery, but we're going to be talking about racial disparities in the COVID-19 pandemic and his unique perspective and some actual studies that he has done on this. So we'll chat with him in the second segment. In the second half hour, we will open the lines up for questions, and we'll also be discussing questions that people have gotten in touch with me with. Um, I'll give you the phone numbers now, 860 522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. And if you wish to email me either while we're on the show or during the week, the email is info at alessimd.com. This day in medicine, in 1891, Dr. Benjamin Fordyce Barker died. He was the first president of the American Gynecological Association. He was an American physician. And he was the first American physician to use a hypodermic syringe. So that was back in 1891. So, again, these things that come from the past that we still do today. Uh, in 1903, on this date, uh, Dr. William Leishman uh, really first described, he was a tropical pathologist, and he described intracellular protozoan forms of a parasite uh, that caused Kala Azor, later became known as Leishmaniasis. The reason I bring it up is the need, and we talked about this last week with Dr. Peter Hotez, our guest, the need for physicians who venture into the field of tropical medicine and how important it is for us today. But one of the hot topics this week has been masks. You know, whenever a public health issue becomes a political position, we're in trouble. I never thought that the use of masks to protect those around us would become a political position. Um, it was uh, described by our White House as being um, a sign of silence, slavery, and social death. Uh, my goodness, uh, where are we going here? I mean, seatbelts we know save lives. 
That's not been a social position. Uh, wearing helmets on a bicycle, again, not a social position. But for some reason, we have made masks and protecting those around us a public issue. This week, I actually had to hear a talk show host, not from our station, but a local Hartford station. He was actually being interviewed by another talk show host in an act of desperation, I'm sure, uh, for a guest. But anyhow, it, it emphasized to me that just because they put you behind this microphone did not give you a medical degree. This guy didn't even understand that the reason for wearing a mask is to protect others. So if he didn't understand it, that means others don't understand it. So let me explain so that many of you listeners, and I know our listeners are familiar with this, but so you could explain it to others in in plain knowledge. If one person is wearing a mask and one is not wearing a mask, if the person who is not wearing the mask sneezes, they will now project the virus, if they're infected with the virus, right? They are projecting droplets that we believe remain in the air for 8 to 14 minutes. They're out there. They are scattered. Probably 6 feet. Some people are saying more. Some people are laying less, depending on the force by which you exert. If you're yelling, if you're screaming, uh, if it's a particularly forceful cough or sneeze. So they are projecting droplets, if a person is wearing a mask and they sneeze, they are not projecting droplets because there's a barrier. So who was protected in this? Okay, so the person who was not wearing the mask was the one who was protected in this situation, whereas the one wearing the mask was the protector. So those droplets now have showered on the person wearing the mask. I can't be more basic than that for people to understand. The other issue is we're still talking about droplets and aerosol because they're still believed that some of the virus becomes aerosolized. And by that we mean, you know how on a sunny day you're looking out and you see kind of dust particles in the glare and they just kind of linger out there. That's aerosol. So what happens is the droplets, the germ attaches to those dust particles and lingers in the air for extended periods of time. So we have to be so mindful of this. You know, I just it saddens me actually to listen to some of these folks because when did we become the nation of me? When did it be become my rights and what I want to do rather than what's important for other people to do? Uh, this week on TV on Real Sports, they looked at baseball in South Korea and they did a retrospective of all the things they did in South Korea. Uh, on January 20th, they had their first death in South Korea from COVID-19, the same day we had our first death in the United States in Washington. They implemented a rapid system of testing. Within days, they had 100 sites around their country for people to start being tested with the WHO test that we rejected. They began immediate identification, isolation, contact tracing that they still do today. So as much as people were saying what they're doing is draconian to keep people indoors, what it has done is paid off. I mean, when we look at their numbers, uh, they only have 256 people who have died. That's it. And 
they are back to a system of normalcy. They're playing baseball. They're going to restaurants. They're going to work. And they are protected and they feel protected. The baseball player they interviewed actually gave the best example. Um, He was saying that a teammate of his visited uh, his parent who was sick. That immediately gets reported. The whole team is told practice is called off that day until that parent's test comes back. If positive, everybody is quarantined. If it's negative, they can go back and play. So immediately, there is this system of communication among people there, and that's what real contact tracing is. So I think the lesson is learned that if we want to get back and we want to get to the beach, we want to do all these other things, we need to follow a program that requires self-discipline. It requires doing the right things, washing your hands, wearing a mask. And we'll talk about some of the other things as we go through this that that would have come out this week that are helpful for all of us. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Cato Lorenzen. And we're going to be talking about something we're hearing a lot about these days, racial disparities with respect to COVID-19. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And we were hoping to interview Dr. Cato Lorenzen, who must be tied up. Uh, And, uh, you know, that is live radio. But uh, since we're on the topic, I did want to speak a little bit about racial disparities as we're seeing Uh, as they develop in the COVID-19 pandemic. And the COVID-19 pandemic is, in my opinion, has really merely just shined a light on existing health inequities. And these inequities have uh, been with us a very long time. And uh, as much as they are right now particularly racial uh, with respect to black and brown communities, um, they've always been economic and ethnic. To explain better, poor people have never gotten the best health care. And in many cases, poor people have gotten no health care. And this pandemic has really shined a light on that from the standpoint that there is a need in this country to provide some basic health care for all, for all Americans. And In doing so, we can become economically more prosperous. We become more productive as a country because people are healthier when going to work and they are able to achieve all their potential. So the pandemic has certainly shined a light on this. From an ethnic standpoint, we see a lot with respect to Native Americans. We're seeing that Tribal nations, the Navajo Nation, has had to really set up their own health contact tracing and their own way of looking at the problem, blocking off roads, isolating their entire community. So I think this speaks to our future. Now, I don't want people jumping all over this and saying, 
uh, I want government-run health care because the government has proven that it can't really run anything, okay, very well when it comes to health care. They just can't. Uh, and so there has to be a system where we provide this priv- this basic care for everyone, and people will still have the option of purchasing their own insurance, whether it be through an employer or not. Everybody says, where are we going to get the money for this? And the money is going to come from the premiums that employers are paying now. It's also going to come from physicians who want to pay back loans. You know, the average physician graduates from medical school with $200,000 in debt. These are our youngest, brightest minds. If they were to spend a certain amount of time in service, helping to provide basic care for people, um, I think we could pull this off. And I think a lot has to do with fraud and abuse in the system itself. But getting back to COVID-19 and something I didn't realize until I read one of Dr. Lorenzen's recent articles was that one of the first people to become infected was a student performing research in the Wuhan lab, and he was from Cameroon. So this Cameroonian student contracted COVID-19. And he was a young, healthy black man who survived. And several, within a few weeks, he recovered from the virus. And what I didn't realize is that started kind of a, a, a rumor or an internet phenomenon that people who are African had an inherent immunity to the COVID-19 virus. And there were a lot of reasons they were saying it was because of melanin and, and a variety of other reasons. But it took a lot, apparently, to really convince people that they were not immune. And I didn't realize there was a similar problem when they were dealing with HIV, where it was rumored that people who were of African origin and heritage were immune. So that has been a a big issue in looking at this. The other problem we find are that there are certain health conditions among African Americans that predispose them for having a difficult time dealing with COVID-19. First of all, the issue is another one, which is economic, is that many people who are black or Hispanic or just poor have to live in close quarters. We see this problem, and I see it in Haiti all the time. Many, several generations of people are living in one or two rooms. That's it. So as we know, there's no opportunity for social distancing in that situation. By the same token, many of these people have diabetes. They are prone to heart disease, stroke, poor diet, and overall poor health. And these are factors that work against you when you're fighting off any illness. So the question really becomes, okay, what are we going to do about this? We're looking at the problem, and we're seeing that many of the people, it's become apparent that many of the people 
in the service industries that are essential for this country to function are of color. And those people are particularly vulnerable. Many, we're finding out, cannot afford and do not obtain health insurance or any health care. So this is an important lesson for us to learn if this economy is going to recover. If people are going to get back to work, it may be an opportunity for us to reset the system somewhat and start moving towards a health care system where everybody is entitled and gets some basic health care. I don't care how they do it. They could all argue about it, privatized government, Medicare for all. I don't think Medicare for all is going to work. I think the the minimum involvement of the United States government in health care, they had a great system. They had the VA system, which worked great for many years, and then it, it fell apart. Many veterans don't get the care they need. So we have a model, and we have the money. We have the wherewithal. We have the doctors who can go forward and implement a system. So maybe those of us listening to this who pay our taxes, go to work every day, and want to see our country move forward need to rethink the system and how we're going to deliver better care for all Americans. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back. We're going to open the lines up for questions. 860-522-9842, 1-800-966-9842. You can also reach me at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds with, at WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And in this half hour, we're going to take questions and uh, go over some of the questions I've been receiving. Uh, one of the questions that came up was the recent article published in the New York Times about surfaces are, that are not the main way of spreading COVID-19. And this is something we've known right along. Uh, you know, a lot of people became focused on the surfaces, but we have to bear in mind that as much as the virus can live for a period of time on a surface, it cannot be transmitted to us until we put it in our mouths or near our uh, nasal passages. So the key thing here is, um, you know, the main transmission, as we talked about earlier, is if someone coughs, sneezes, or even if they are shouting loudly or singing, um, that's how you get it. If you touch the surface and then you touch your face, you can then transmit the virus. And again, it has to be a significant amount of virus that's on that surface. Now, I think it's a good thing that we're trying to purify as many surfaces as we can and spend a lot of time doing that because we all tend to touch our face. But again, it goes back to the use of a mask. It is a natural habit for people to touch their faces and their facial areas rub their eyes. And these are the entry points. The nose, the mouth, and the eyes are the entry points for this virus. And nowhere is it more evident than in baseball. We see that all the time. 
So again, the mask helps you because you tend not to touch your mouth and face, and it breaks you of the habit that even if you're not wearing the mask, you will then not infect yourself by touching your face with an in, from an infected surface. Now, I was on another talk show, and, and they raised the issue of, you know, are we going to be doing this next year? Are we going to have to wear a mask next year? Well, let's think about this. Suppose we didn't have COVID-19. Suppose COVID-19 went away today. Next season, we're going to have the flu, right? It comes every year. And all of us have been in the situation where you wake up in the morning and you might have a little bit of a runny nose, a little bit of a raspy throat. Not sure if you're getting sick or not. Okay, but there's that question. You might be more inclined, and it would be considered socially acceptable, to wear a mask that day. Right? Because suddenly, if you are infectious, you will be spreading it to co-workers and loved ones. And in doing so, we will see the numbers of virus, of flu virus, go down every year. So there are certain things to be gained. There are certain habits to be gained. One of the most common questions that comes to me, is there going to be a spike? Is there going to be a rise in the number of COVID-19 cases in the fall? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And here's the reason why. We have seen this decline in the virus. This decline is the result of, really, mitigation efforts that we did two months ago, as well as changes in climate and changes in our habits with respect to climate. Viruses don't do well in sunlight and heat. So summer is traditionally a time where we do not see viruses flourishing. The other reason is, is we're outside more. So going back to our example of sneezing or coughing, if you're maintaining a social distance and you're outside and the wind is blowing, okay, it's less likely that you will infect someone. So again, being outdoors and in warm weather will result in the numbers going down. As we go back indoors and weather becomes cooler, so the climate becomes more appropriate for viruses to flourish, the numbers will go up. It also coincides with the same time that we're going to be indoors. right? So we're going to be closer to people and in closer contact with people. So those numbers are going to go up. There will be a spike. The question becomes, how high will that spike be? And that's really an important question for us to get out in front of. The way we get in front of it is to mitigate as best we can. Still isolate, socially distance, wearing masks, washing hands. You cannot wash your hands too many times. Hand sanitizer. I think, you know, we're getting there. We're getting there with some good habits overall that are going to help us as humanity in general. One study this week that came out was from Singapore, where they looked at COVID-19 patients and found that those patients were not infectious after 11 days. 
So 11 days after being diagnosed, they were no longer contagious. Now, some were still testing positive, but that does not mean that they are contagious at that time. So, again, it reinforces the idea of the two-week quarantine being an appropriate time. We always get on the topic of testing, and fortunately, testing has become much more accessible for everyone. I work at the University of Connecticut and at Hartford HealthCare. Both institutions have now begun testing people who come in for procedures. Now, those are, and I assume Yale is doing the same thing. I just don't have personal knowledge of it. But the CDC has recommended that procedures that last for more than 15 minutes with continuous close contact, a patient should be tested for COVID-19 before having that. So our protocol for EMG, EEG, outpatient surgery, colonoscopy, spinal injections, any list of things, is that I will order a test for a patient who's scheduled to come in. They will have an appointment to come in for the test 48 hours before the procedure. And they can do that through the drive-through and any number of places. From the time they are tested, they're required to self-quarantine until that procedure, because it doesn't do you any good, right, if you get tested and then you go to some party where no one is practicing social distancing or wearing a mask. It doesn't help. You need to self-quarantine in order to create an area, an atmosphere of safety for everyone involved in performing the procedure. So this raises the next question. What qualifies as a procedure? We've looked at this from the standpoint of medicine. But you can easily argue that going for a haircut is a procedure, right? For many people, you are in close contact with another person for more than 15 minutes. Now, I'm not saying you need to be tested for every haircut by the same token. I'm trying to emphasize that the need for PPE, social distancing, and all the different implements we're trying to put in place with hair salons and beauty parlors and spas are of the same category. So this rush to get back and have a haircut, you need to do that in a very responsible manner. And I think that many, for the most part, I think many of the people involved in the personal care industry are responsible people. They want to do the right thing. The last thing they want to do is be like the guy in Kingston, New York. Remember that guy? He decided he was opening his barbershop. He, was, he had a right. Okay, And then he infected 12 of his customers. That, that's just terrible. It's terrible because he's going to have to live with that. So, again, testing is becoming more available. How accurate is the testing? Well, we think there are false negatives about 40%, but at least it gives us something to work off of while we're still using personalized protective equipment. So we're working our way through this. 
Uh, we're going to take a short break now, going to get to a couple of more questions, and, uh, and then we'll be wrapping it up. The phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds with WTIC News Talk 1080. Back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessian. In this last segment, uh, we are discussing some of the questions that have uh, come up uh, during the week. And some of the issues are, you know, one of the things I've observed is there are several people out there who are, I don't know, they're, they're cavalier about COVID-19, for lack of a better term. You know, I'm going to take off my mask. I'm going to Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, they basically don't have a respect for this virus. And what I have found is that those people who are out there shouting, you have rights, take off your mask, go to a party, do this, do that, are people who have not had a personal experience with this virus. The people who have had a virus either suffered from the virus, have had family members, or are healthcare professionals who have worked around people who have suffered from this virus are very clear that this is not something to mess with. It is a worthy adversary that leaves people sucking desperately for their last breath. So the importance of practicing safe procedures and timing and distance and using masks is not lost, even on conservative commentators. Uh, and you'll see that. Even those who consider themselves conservative commentators, let's get out and get the economy going, everybody go back to work. Um, and they do that from their home studio, which I find terribly ironic. Um, the other issue that's come up is the president has said he's going to stop funding for the World Health Organization. Uh, you know, everybody needs a, a foil here. Everybody needs somebody to blame. And, you know, I'm not going to defend the World Health Organization and, and what happened here. But I will say that this is a time when it is crucial that we communicate with other countries. This is not a thing where it is related to just your country, just your area, okay, this is not something where we have, we're going to build a wall, we're going to build a dome around our country and the heck with everybody else. This is a worldwide pandemic. And with that, we should be cooperating with other countries. We all inhabit this planet and need to work globally towards protecting everyone. So if the World Health Organization is that mechanism, then we need to have a seat at the table. You don't walk away from the table. You could dictate the terms by which you want your seat at the table, but you need a seat at the table in order for us to move forward. The next topic is one that is a hot topic here, and we've discussed before. And uh, basically, there is a bill in Connecticut to end the state's religious exemptions for vaccines. This religious exemption has been a pseudo-exemption 
because, as everyone knows, no organized religion is against vaccinating children. This discussion has been ongoing for years. And we are at the point in Connecticut where, when we deal with measles, that number for herd immunity, the immunity needed for everyone to be safe, is dropping. So, there is really no basis for it. The old argument that has been disproven about autism coming from these vaccines has not been substantiated in any way. So we need to get this bill passed, and we needed to get it passed quickly because we will have a vaccine for COVID-19, and we need to reach herd immunity if this economy, if we are going to get back to some level of normalcy. So for those of our legislators who are listening, and I will be in contact with several of them, they need to get on the stick here. Okay, you need to do your job, and that is to protect the citizens of Connecticut. And you do that by promoting vaccination and not letting people cop out from this whole idea that they have a religious exemption, which we know doesn't exist. Um, the other thing I did want to bring up in, in closing, there's a couple of things. Um, there's going to be a virtual fundraiser tonight for Autism Families Connecticut. Uh, this is a group um, who really do a lot for families who have children with autism. And they do a phenomenal job. They run a, a huge gala. But tonight, it's a virtual gala fundraiser. Uh, the link I'll give you is e.givesmart.com slash events slash ETB. So if you get a chance, bring that up. In closing, I want to take a little bit of personal time to commemorate my father's birthday. My dad, George Alessi, turns 94 years old today. Here's a man who has lived through the economic depression. He served in World War II. And he has lived long enough to experience a pandemic where it is not possible for his son, daughter-in-law, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren to be with him today. But he's also a person who understands the need for social distance and self-discipline. So I know that my father understands all our best wishes are with him on this great birthday at age 94 and also understands the need for social distancing. And I only hope that others do the same. With that, Dad, happy birthday. We all love you. I want to many thanks to our studio producer, Mike Olko, as always, has been able to make this possible. Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. You can get today's show on the Healthy Rounds podcast just downloaded from iTunes. Here's something I haven't said in a while. Next up on WTIC is going to be Garden Talk with Len. Please take time today to help save a life. Wear a mask. It is a sign that you care.
Until next week, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.